It's the most wonderful time of the year. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about Broadway Con, and it's back this year. Broadway Con 2021 is happening virtually, and I am so relieved, aren't you? I could not go a year without being with my Broadway community, and I'm so excited because I'm doing all sorts of virtual events. I am doing individual meet and greets. I'm doing group meet and greets. I am doing coaching. Do you want to start a podcast? Let's talk about it. Do you have an audition coming up? Let's work on it. Do you just want to go through your book? Do you just want to talk with me about how much we love theater and fan out about it together? I will coach you. I will meet you. I will greet you. I will have all things joy with you virtually because of the beauty of our beloved community coming together for Broadway Con 2021. So sign up to hang out with me by going to broadwaycon.com slash ilevine and you'll see all the different experiences I'm offering. It starts on February 20th and goes through February 27th. I cannot wait to get to see you. And if it's got to be virtual, I'll take it because that is so better than nothing. So come see me. I can't wait. Let's work and talk about all the things that are important to you. And let's get our Broadway community back together. I miss you. Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt. And you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hey, I heard you need an inspiration. He's a lot of and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. fact about my guest today, he grew up loving Liza Minnelli, and then life came full circle when he performed with Liza Minnelli. Welcome Max Von Essen to the podcast. A-OK. A-OK. Hey everyone, my guest today is Max Von Essen, a Tony and Grammy-nominated singer and actor best known for his role as Henri in the award-winning production of An American in Paris on Broadway. Other Broadway credits include Anastasia, Evita, Les Mis, Jesus Christ Superstar, and Dance of the Vampire. Some of his many television credits include Law and Order SBU, Elementary, Boardwalk Empire, The Good Wife, Gossip Girl, and his concert work brings him all over the globe. You can listen to his gorgeous debut album, Call Me Old Fashioned, The Broadway Standard on iTunes. I'm so over the moon to have Max von Essen on the podcast. Welcome, Max. Thank you so much. Oh, you know, it's good during a pandemic to have someone read your a little bit of your bio so I don't have to think I'm a total failure. Like, oh, I have done things. You have done <laughs> so many more things than Thank the things I just shared. Me. I know. It's really important. I feel like everyone, part of their daily affirmation should be to like go on IBDB and IMDB and just go, right, I I'm I exist. I've done things. Absolutely. Here we are. I mean, honestly, during this time, I have um, written down the, the few things that I've done during the pandemic, whether it's, you know, a, a Zoom concert or, you know, benefit things just to remind myself that I am being productive, not to be too hard on myself yeah. that, you know, that time is passing and I'm not filling it and that's okay but I do yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you I think you have to remind yourself be like you you've done a lot be proud and just and always remind yourself of that 
And if that feels weird for anyone to do themselves, DM me and I will actually call you and read them for you. Me um, too. <laughs> book me on Cameo. That's what I will do for you. Hey. Um, That's <laughs> an idea. idea. I know. Forget stage door. Just read me what I've done. Um, speaking of being super productive and and – uh, you know, I have some time with you, not the entire day. And there are so many things that you have done that I want to talk to you about. But speaking of being creative during this, you know, pandemic, I watched Meet Me in St. Louis last night, um, oh. the Irish rep virtual oh. production um, in which you were gorgeous and everyone was so good. But the reason I highly recommend it, and I don't know if it will like live forever and you can make an appointment to watch it. Like, I don't know how long it'll be on their website, but it was so successful in using all of the technological tools available to make something um look like people are in the same room with with a couple of like adorable glitches in that like uh -huh. some eye lines yeah. that were weird were made it it was more charming because of that um but wow like that was really exciting to see it done in a way and maybe because the piece is an old-fashioned period piece um the the kind of non-reality of it works so well. I don't know if I'm making any sense. Maybe Com that's a sentence I'll take out. No, complete <laughs> sense. You're making complete sense. That's what I said to some people when I did a couple of interviews for it when, when we yeah. first did it, that I think I, I was like, if anything's going to have a chance to work mm -hmm. like this, it will be something like this. Because I mean, the first, you know, movie musicals, MGM, like everything was larger than life. It was a non-reality. Like we knew it wasn't real. We knew yes. the sets weren't real. The, yeah. col the coloring is different and heightened. It's not yeah. like actual lighting. And But it doesn't matter. That's one of the reasons we love it. So I thought if we had a shot, it would be at something like this that's charming and old-fashioned. And, you know, I don't know how well it was pulled off, but I'm really proud of it. And I'm even more proud of the Irish rep because they're doing things. You know what I mean? This has been a tough time. And a lot of theaters, and totally. I, won't, we won't, I won't list them, yes. a lot of theaters and, and, and you know, artistic groups have, have kind of gone silent. And I think there was a real opportunity to do to just get think out of the box and create create new work and to mm -hmm. and to tend to give people you know give jobs for yep. actors who are who are hungry for them so i'm so appreciative i love the irish rep if you guys out there don't know them look them up irishrep.org i think meet me in st louis is a couple more performances you can okay. watch online yeah, but, re but regardless there'll yeah. be there'll be many more things from them cuz instantly they went digital and yeah. they have they they won't return they won't stop it until they could do live theater and i bet that even when live theater is back they'll continue a lot of their digital programming cuz why not Right, and think about the 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 people globally who could watch Absolutely. this show as opposed to. I mean, Irish Rep for those who don't live in New York, it's a really small theater. So mm -hmm. even when they have a knockout hit, there are only so many people who get to see it. Yeah, I mean, it was really inspirational, and also, I mean, we'll move on because, uh, like I said, you've done so some other things. things. <laughs> um, but like every song from that show is so good. And it was just so great to wake up this morning having like the boy next door in my head and just songs that I love. And it was a great distraction because I've only been listening to Taylor Swift for the last month. So it was nice to have something else in there. Even Different. though yes. I love the Taylor. So Different. I'm going to say two words to you. We're going to play a little um, word association game okay. and you're going to tell me the story of whatever comes to mind when you hear these two words. Are you ready? Max von Essen. No. Liza Minnelli. <laughs> oh, um, gosh. I mean, it ch changed my life. She was like my idol as a little kid. Yeah. I had... When I, when I first moved back to New York City and one of the first auditions I noticed in backstage when it was still a paper and uh -huh. I was like circling things and sending headshots in was that she needed a backup singer. And I was like, this is my job. This is my job. And I, I had like five auditions, finally met her. Um, oh, I think I charmed her and I think it went well because then I started, I got I booked the gig and I toured with her as one of her backup singers for like, I don't know, eight, eight or nine months or something as, as a 22 year old fresh out of college. And it was a dream come true. And I loved her as a kid. I loved her then. And I, and I still love her. So what do you do when like you're very, is this, I mean, I assume this is one of your very first professional jobs. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. How do you handle this thing 
And and maybe this is a perfect segue to tell me about growing up. And how did Max von Essen know about Liza Minnelli growing up? Where did you grow up? Talk to me. Yeah. Well, I grew up on Long Island in Rockville Center. I was born in Queens. And basically, my experience was like a suburban Long Island kind of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's, that's a good question. Liza Minnelli is really one of those sort of icons, and especially like a gay icon like her mother, Judy Garland, that why are we, you know, so many people, men and people in my community drawn to her and her mother, and it's hard to pinpoint it. I don't know if it's because of their struggles, the the uh, the, the torch songs they sing, but I was drawn to her from a little kid. I remember just being like in Sam Ash, you know, in the city, pick, looking at CDs and things. And I just saw, I would see her and I just started pulling them out and would buy one by one. Mm-hmm. And I just fell in love with her. I can't explain why, you know, some things were just drawn to as a kid, like the way I was drawn to music and performing, mm-hmm. the way I saw my um, chorus teacher in third grade play the piano. And from then on, I was mesmerized. I just did, I'd never seen someone, um, live, you know, right in front of me. I'd never seen someone's hands hit a keyboard like that mm. and just play. To me, it was like magic. And that's when I, I went home right after that, asked my parents for if I could get a piano and have lessons. They were like, uh, okay. You know, I'm like mm. young, youngest of four. They're all jocks and into academics. And um, it just it just started going from there. It's interesting sometimes when it's you, you find the things as opposed to what your parents are encouraging. And not that my parents wouldn't have encouraged it. It's just that the arts weren't part of their lives or their upbringing. So it's not something that we were, I was introduced to by my parents and my family. So it came from inside of me. And so I know it was just sort of like meant to be, but yeah, I was drawn, drawn to music and the arts and drawn, drawn to Liza Minnelli. And she was one of my, and she was the kind of person, like I would listen to her songs when I would get down as a kid. And I, you realize without even being able to explain it, I was realizing like the power of music, the power of an uplifting song or a love song to actually get you out of a dark place. Right? And are you watching Powerful. the movie Arthur and going, oh, look, and then Cabaret, and you're like, that's the same yes, person that I'm listening to. Yes, totally. I started, you know, devouring a, a lot of stuff that she had put out there, certainly Cabaret. I mean, that was just like one of the first movie musicals I had ever seen, one of the more first musicals, period, I had ever yeah, seen. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, I remember around the same time I saw Funny Girl, and I was just like, this is just... The these greatest. Are my people. These are my people, yes. and these are just the greatest things in the world. And I remember, I would sit there because I'm old, and we didn't have, you know, you didn't own the, you know, VHS tapes or right. DVDs. Right. And I would take my little tape recorder and just hold it up to the TV, and tape one or two or three of my like my favorite songs from the thing, so I could listen to them repeatedly. It wow! Was, you know, you do what you got to do. The yeah. original, the original bootlegs, and I'm very against bootlegs. So here, but there I was as a little kid, illegally re- recording these audios. Yes, but you were Don't not selling you. them to no. other people. You were just <laughs> using them for your own joy. So I say that is 100 okay. Um, yeah, I mean it's a whole other story. But in reading about you, I I then read about your father, who Thomas von Essen was the fire commissioner. Um, the fire department of New York commissioner for yes. many, many years and was the fire commissioner during 9-11. So I yes. cannot even imagine as like, um, you know, to, to have the world of Broadway and musicals, you know, in one space and then someone else, even pre-9-11, just being someone who's whose work is so different in every way um, than what your interests are. And yet you said they went out and got you the piano and were really supportive. Oh, totally. That, that was the amazing thing about both my parents. They, yeah. they, whatever I asked for, I mean, and, and we didn't, when, when I was a kid, my dad was a firefighter, you know, my mom was a secretary, so they didn't have much, but they, they did whatever they could. And they, they bought a, a, a you know, really crappy used piano. And they were like, listen, mm-hmm. if you, if you're serious about this and you show us, that you're disciplined and you love it, um, we'll get you a, a better piano. But but you know, show us. And sure enough, a couple of years later, they got me a great piano, and um, I still have it. Um, so they is were. It scary, they were always... Is it scary growing up with someone whose father is a first responder? And I'm really talking about this even before we even knew how different the world would look after 9/11. Um, 
What is it like having a firefighter dad? And what is your awareness as a kid of the vulnerabilities of a job like that? Oh, you know, my aware I wasn't aware of the danger. I just thought my dad was the coolest. I thought he was mm-hmm. a hero. And I loved visiting him at the firehouse in the Bronx. I thought this was, you know, at a time before everyone's worried about lawsuits and things. You know, I mean, I know, I'm sure you cannot bring your kid, you know, to right. sleep to sleep over at a firehouse in the Bronx right. anymore. Right. I imagine there are certain things within the department that's, that says that's a liability. Yes. Um, but this is a long time ago, and I it was the it was just the coolest thing. And I would jump on a, on onto a truck, you know, go out on a call with him. And just yeah. have to stay on the stay on the truck. Don't yeah. go anywhere. But I would just watch. And I was very young. And it was just phenomenal to me. But no, I didn't. And I remember him coming home to different times with an injury. One time, I believe he got like hot tar in his eye. And he had a big patch over his eye. But mm. I, was, I was not aware um, of the real danger and vulnerability. I was just proud of him. And I thought it was cool. And then when he was fire commissioner, once again, like I still, you know, now he's sort of out of the firehouse and he's kind of in a managerial position. And Mm -hmm. even the morning of 9-11, it all seemed totally surreal to me. I didn't understand the scope of it. I never thought my dad was in danger until later I found out that he was in the lobby, you know, Mm -hmm. and that he was helping, you know, kind of run the, navigate. the, the uh, yeah navigate the situation then he had to eventually leave the lobby and meet up with Giuliani to start briefing the press because it was just total chaos right and it was in those moments of him leaving the lobby that the um you know the tower came down mm-hmm. and just in those moments like just in a right. few in a few minutes right um my life could right now I could be talking about my life without a father. So I don't know why he was so lucky. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm so lucky to still have him, but it was just in that 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 moment of time that his life was saved. Um so even then I didn't fully understand. So it's um it's been quite a life with him and it's been quite a life kind of like it's inspired me to kind of become my own you know, my own person, my own Von Essen, my own New Yorker, because we're such proud New Yorkers. And I just wanted to kind of be my own man in New York and to feel like that I've done that to some small degree and to, to, to look in his eyes and him look back at in my eyes and think there's, you know, kind of a mutual pride is, um, well, it's hard to, obviously you could tell it's hard for me to put into words. It means a lot to me. Wow. That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, I want to ask you about your name because one of the reasons I was kind of working, I was like, is that a stage name, Max von Essen? It's so incredibly elegant. Um, What is the history of your family's name? You know, it's funny. I mean, that's our name. Um, we always thought we like were German and probably of some sort of like royal descent, even though like, where's the money? Where's the jewels? You know. Uh, <laughs> and then not too long ago, my dad did one of those 23 and mm-hmm. me things or, or you know, Ancestry.com. I'm not sure which. <clears throat> and he found out that we're not really German at all. It's like <laughs> almost <laughs> completely Swedish. And oh. and I was like, oh my god! Well, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's fine Sweet with me. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> my mom is one hundred percent Italian. I was like, well, I was like, at least you didn't tell me I'm not Italian. <laughs> and is that how you grew up? Like Sunday dinners? Was it traditional Italian the way we see it on TV, or what were the kind of oh one hundred percent. Okay. Yeah, it it was Italian all the way. My father um, wasn't as close with his family as I was growing up, um, but my mom, forget it. It was all about her family and her five siblings and my grandmother and her nine siblings and oh all the all the cousins that trickled down from there. And, you know, when I first was born, I lived in Queens. It was the kind of thing like, you know, my aunt and uncle lived upstairs. My uncle lived downstairs. My other aunt lived on the corner. My grandmother was a few blocks away. I and you know, Sunday dinners in my grandmother's basement, the whole family, multiple tables connected and, you know, Sunday sauce and meatballs. And it was awesome. It's some of the best, best memories. And then, of course, the, the fam, each individual family got larger. So we kind of like splintered off into our own, you know, family traditions and it got a little bit smaller. But it's one I, it's one of the things I just love about be, being Italian, grow, you know, growing up in Queens on Long Island, having that, you know, close knit, you know, big network of tons of cousins. And it was awesome. And are you a great cook? I am not really a, I mean, no, 
I should just, I should have said no instantly. Um, but <laughs> but I can make a couple of basic things. You know, what I mean, I know how to make like my mom's, you know, mar- marinara, as the Americans say. You know, but when we say yeah. like, ma- marinade, which See. I don't know how anyone could understand what I'm saying. Um, so that's it. Because finally one day I was like, how do I not even know how to make some of the basics? And right. what, actually one of the great things early on in the pandemic coming out of a terrible time because I was so I was in the city and just like losing my mind. And mm-hmm. I decided to go visit my sister, who was my only sibling that settled outside of New York. I'll tell this quickly. She lives in Kansas. So I, I was like, I'm going to drive out there. I just got to be outside of the city. I can't take it anymore. My mom called me. She's like, hey, I heard you're you know, thinking about going to your sister's. Can I come? Because <laughs> she oh, was also, also go, going crazy because my yeah, dad was all dad, bunkers. Yeah. My dad was very busy working. He was he's been working with FEMA the last few years and right. she was nervous about him, you know, coming and going so much and possibly contracting COVID. And we went out there and one of some of the best things we did together was just like we spent hours cooking or like one Sunday I was just taking notes on her meatballs and her, her sauce and the way she prepares it all. Like, her, you know, her real like Sunday sauce with the meat, which I, did, I didn't know how to make. So it was really special. And I just like really I will always look back and value that time because I haven't spent time like I haven't spent a month alone with my mom in you know probably ever in my life let alone as an adult so yeah it was pretty cool that's incredible wait did you guys drive or fly we drove we jumped in the halfway across the country for a couple of days just you and your mom yes like 19 hours straight I threw my my cat in the back and we just like got out of here and there was it just felt amazing to to get somewhere and to go for a walk Mm -hmm. like on my sister's property like without a mask you know what I mean it may sound silly but like I'm living in the city. I was all alone. My roommate had been away for a couple of months and mm-hmm. Hell's Kitchen was just a ghost town. The theater right. district is completely dark. All you're hearing is sirens. And it just it was just really starting to mess with my mind and to just go to an open space. It, it, it just it just lifted me and gave me a little boost to help me sort of through like the next period of time. What were you working on uh, when Broadway shut down? Um, at the time, I was doing concerts, so I wasn't in a show, but I had right. a lot of concerts canceled, which sucked. Right. I was a week before I was on my way to San Francisco. Um, literally, I was like at Penn Station, heading to um, heading to Newark, and I got the call, and they were like, "Hey, listen, we're not going to do it." And the concert was the next day, and I was like, "Oh man!" And then I was going to Palm Springs from San Francisco, and Palm Springs didn't cancel, so I was like, "Okay, great, let's let's see what happens." So I did those concerts. It was like the 9th, 10th, and 11th or something like that of March. And then I flew back the next day and it was like state of emergency, mm-hmm. Broadway dark, and everything really changed from there. And like, um, yeah, I just kind of had each gig one at a time just, you know, canceled. Right. Which was a bummer, but. Well, to imagine, you know, to actually live in, in Times Square, the Times Square area, um, and to kind of have gone through it for you to sort of observe the way your community looks so different now, not just as um, as an idea, but in reality, on a day-to-day basis, walking around, do you feel like that area is more uh, busy now? Obviously, theater's still closed, but I'm saying just the general like vibe on the streets, does it feel more populated? Oh, without a doubt. From the big, be- you know, the big... Be- period of the pandemic to now absolutely and mm-hmm. certainly like in the, sp- the late spring and summer um things really did come alive and i'm i'm and i'm i was so hopeful and i continue to be hopeful and you know with the outdoor seating yeah you know it's not very lively now because it's freezing <laughs> yeah, out we're in a blizzard right but but it it's a real wonderful byproduct of a tough time i think we've discovered that like new york loves to be outside and loves to eat outside. And I mm-hmm. think that's a perm, a new per- and permanent part of our culture, which I think is great. And even though by this spring and summer, we're not going to be at a point, I don't think with the, with the vaccine that, you know, we're back to our lives, but I do think the feeling is going to be great again, the city, like that sense of like, here we go, you know, things are warm, they're coming back to life. And I think people are going to be outside. And I remember being in the park this July, August, and it was, it felt good. So it's, it's not, the neighborhood anyone would remember it's not right. the usual theater districts so i warn people when they do come back or come to visit like be prepared but it's still new york it's still exciting and even though it's a difficult difficult time like it was after 9 11 
I still wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Mm-hmm. I, I would look back at it like, look, you know, look what we did. And I, and I stood by and I, I gave back and I just want to be in my community. I want to buy an overpriced coffee and leave too right. much of a t- tip. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? And what, yes. little, what little I have, I want to share it. And there's a, one of my favorite restaurants I go to repeatedly. Sometimes I go just to like have a bill there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to leave a tip. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just to like give back to, to my community and my, my local area. Because I think we all need to do that. Whatever level you can do it, sure, do it. Well, what's so interesting in some ways, this is a time capsule, right? Because this episode will live forever and someone may find it many years in the future if they're not yeah. already, you know, constant listeners of the podcast. And I think it will be so interesting to look back and sort of hear what you're saying right now when it's in the rearview mirror. It's just a fascinating, fascinating yes. experience in that way. Um, you were someone who really drove this train in terms of when you were describing, you know, you weren't listening to Broadway cast albums as a family or singing along to them in the car. Um, (laughs) This was really motivated by your heart and your artistic spirit. And I'm assuming at some point, you know, for a lot of my guests, they were like, I discovered in church that I sing really well. And there was kind of um, a response to it very specifically in a very specific location where they kind of realized I'm good at this and other people appreciate that as well. Where was your moment of like, I know I love to do it, but I'm getting really incredible feedback for it. (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, I always loved to sing and play around, but it was a little bit more like privately and I would hide it from my family. Um, But I do remember in middle school, I was auditioning for this, this talent show, but it turns out it was more of like a Broadway review. So when I played the piano, they were like, well, that's great. But, um, do do you sing? (laughs) I was like, um, well, I mean, I like to. And so they had me like sing a song on the spot and it went really well. And then they gave me a solo in the Broadway review. They gave me morning glow from Pippin. And it was the first time I had really stood on a stage and sung a solo or done anything like that. And you hear, you know, this huge auditorium of, of other students and parents and cheering. I was like, oh, wow. this is really fun. And not because you were getting the response like that. It was just the whole process. It was just about learning a song, performing it on stage, giving it to an audience, hearing their response back. That that was the first time I ever really got this sense like, wow, this is, this is where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. I love, I loved piano. I've gotten, I got pretty good at piano and I was like accompanying the chorus in school and playing in a lot of little recitals. But once I did that and sang, it just really, I had the bug and um, right. then I couldn't stop. You know what I mean? It's just like musical after musical after musical and all through And all are you coming into the city because you lived on Long Island? Could you get to the city to see Broadway shows? Mm-hmm. Yes, totally. I um, by that point, middle school is when I started begging my parents, and we they take me to the TKTS down at the World Trade Center. Actually, there used to be one there, um, and I'd start seeing shows. And Dream Girls was the first Broadway show I ever saw. Then Cats, and then my mom. Remember my mom taking me to Phantom and Les Mis, and uh, it was just that was it. You know, it was like there was it was it was just everything I could have dreamed of like it was just I just knew like I didn't actually think I was necessarily going to do it for real because it Mm. did it did seem unattainable seemed like this faraway world because now you know when you're going back it's 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 amazing how different things are when before internet you Mm -hmm. know what I mean before Instagram before you know kids now and myself included not a kid but like we do so much social media when we're in a show you do so much to connect with fans you do so many events and you can respond to people and there's so much energy and so many people wait at stage doors and want shout outs or cameo and when I was a kid I mean you're right did you you know it just seemed like oh my god you'd watch I'd watch a Broadway stage I'd see these people on the stage and they didn't seem real to me and I didn't know and I didn't know how you got there because there was no guide there was nothing I looked at there wasn't YouTube I didn't I couldn't connect to these people so it it seemed unattainable but it was what it but it was fun to just have that dream because I just kept working my butt off in school and performing because I remember my dad saying like it once he, they knew how much I was into that, my parents were like, listen, go for it. 
do this stuff right. because it's the same with sports. You think kids like are in high school playing sports. How many of them do you really think are going like to the NBA, you know, right. or playing professional football? Right. It, doesn't, it doesn't matter. You're on a team. You're working your butt off. You're learning teamwork and discipline. And that's what, and you're, and, and hopefully you're having a blast because you, you love it, you know, and yeah. that's what, that's what I was doing. It was just my happy place. It was where I finally found a community as this, you know, lonely, loner little kid who just didn't feel comfortable anywhere. And then suddenly I was comfortable. So I was like, well, I'm, I'm doing this. And are you out in high school or is that journey a a later journey, the public aspect of it? Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. That was later. I mean, not much later. It was (laughs) was yesterday. (laughs) You've actually just, yeah. You just outed me. Yeah. (laughs) You You're literally welcome. just outed me. You're welcome. Um, it was time. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Uh, uh, no. Um, I mean, no, I I was not out. And um, I'm trying to like kind of not go too deep because I don't want to like this interview to be too depressing. But mm-hmm. no, I, I was not. When I say like theater is where I found my community, I mean, I, I truly mean that. When I say right. I was a, a kid who was lost and trying to find the right group of friends and find something to cling to, mm-hmm. I, I totally mean that. And so theater and the people that were in the theater community, you know, of my middle school and high school, they totally saved me because I was, I was floundering and I knew I was different. I couldn't put my, my finger on it. Mm -hmm. I knew it was sexual. I knew I was attracted to men, but I didn't know if that's how it was going to, you know, you know, I, I just didn't, I kept praying that I, uh, that I wasn't, I kept, I was trying to date girls and stuff. And I, I was like, well, this doesn't feel comfortable. I was like, but what if I'm with a guy and it also doesn't feel comfortable? Maybe this is comfortable. Like maybe this is all there is. Maybe this is, is is what it's supposed to feel like. And then of course, you know, I met, you know, you know, a guy in college or, you know, started figuring myself out and experimenting and, and I realized instantly, it's like, oh, no, this this is how it's supposed to feel. It's just supposed to feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. It's just supposed to feel right. And it did instantly. But, you know, yeah, before that, oh, gosh, you know, I was not. Once again, you know, it's funny, you know, time things have really changed. You know, I hear my nieces and nephews talk about kids or who's trans or, you know, what what group there is in school for the LGBTQI community. And it's just different or the fact that you could just jump on the your laptop and explore research Mm -hmm. find different groups and i you know i i i know it's a it's double-edged sword there's also dangers to all that kind of stuff us being too open or there's too much on the internet but man i I, man i wish i had a little bit more um in when i was growing up to to figure things out or do some research because I was it was I was in a dark place and I was pretty right. lost and I'm very, and felt very... so alone <clears throat> and you would have known yes. that you weren't yes yes yeah well your journey brought you to such an on incredible adventures right I mean <laughs> if you believe that everything had to happen in a certain order to get where you are I mean, look at the things you have done. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And and I think like you made your Broadway debut in Les Mis. Like Yeah, it was act believe it or not, it was um because it's tricky. I made it in Jesus Christ Superstar and then then I did Dance of Vampires. But why why it's it's confusing is because and that's what I so I'm so glad you brought it up. I um Yes, when I first saw Les Mis as a kid, I was like, I was like, oh my god, the I and you know there were musicals I saw before that and I loved them, but I didn't connect to them the way I did with Les Mis because I I, I personally wasn't sort of being represented, you know, as mm-hmm. a as a young man, um, I didn't see myself in Dreamgirls, you know, <laughs> when I saw you know, as a young white man, like, actually, <laughs> <laughs> and when I saw Cats, I didn't have the the mindset to think like, oh, they're dressed. Yeah, I would, I could dress up and become this right. cat, you know. But right. like, I'm not. But Les Mis was like, whoa, I I want to. Not that I, not, oh, I can do this. It was like, oh, I want to do this. But mm-hmm. so by the time, like, I was an adult, you know, I was, 
auditioning all the time for Les Mis, but just like wasn't happening. But Les Mis was running so long that I was still auditioning for that original Broadway company that I had seen as a kid. And then finally, um, they uh, they called me and they said, hey, listen, you know, the the, the original company is going to be closing soon, but someone, um, a, a guy in the ensemble had to leave early. Um, he's in the ensemble and he understudies Marius. Would you like to come and do it? I was like, are you kidding me? I'm going to be in the... So I, so I closed Crazy. the original... So like the dates look like I did it, you know, earlier, but okay. it's, it's because I, I was part of the original, com- Got it. the Got original it. production and the closing company. Isn't that so cool? Were you there on the last night? Yes. Were you there? <laughs> no, no. Oh. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I remember because you winked at me. No, I just was like, that must have been unbelievable. I mean, it must uh, have been unbelievable to be in the whole thing, to have yes, that but- dream in full circle, but to do that, I can only imagine. Epic, epic. Can I just tell you like one thing? So we we finished a hundred things. (laughs) I mean, whenever whenever you can stay hot till it's fine with me. Um, Well, first of all, it was like a rock concert. I like barely get through the show because people were just going nuts for every every moment. But they filled the mezzanine with all alumni from the show, several hundred people who had done the show before. And so we, we, and then we finished the show and of course they're going crazy. And then people come out, Cameron McIntosh and um, um, the, 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 I'm blanking on names, you know, like Schomburg and the, you know, the original writers and they're all giving speeches and, then we kind of like clear the stage and we're going to do another sort of um, truncated special performance. And they do like the final sort of scene where like Fantine comes out and it's it's um, Jean Valjean on stage. Like Fantine is like, come with me where chains will never bind you, whatever all that is. And she's kind of like bringing him, you know, crossing him over from life to death and bring him up to heaven. And, and, and Eponine comes out. Well, we, we clear the stage and the original cast members do that scene you know randy graff colm wilkinson um i'm of course blanking on everyone else's names go out there and look it up but the original people come out in their costumes and they recreate that scene and then and then we're at the back of the stage and we're about to come down for like the final do you hear the people sing and like i mean chills and not only that we had a rehearsal with all the alumni the the like the like 500 of them and now at this point they're like coming down from the mezzanine, filling the aisles, and they also all join in, <laughs> whispering, do you hear the people? Like hundreds and hundreds of people, like a cappella in the theater audience doing it. It was one of the most thrill- thrilling like theatrical, theatrical mm-hmm. experiences of my life. And we even, they... um came from Lincoln Center to um, tape it for their archives. So like, I know it exists. You can mm-hmm. go, you can go there and, and, and watch it. Wow. But, but can you imagine? No, I, mean, can, I can actually you can't. That? No, I'm crying. It's like, it's so, but also uh, imagining like dead. seven-year-old you and then 27-year-old you, like the whole thing is just so, so incredible. Yeah. I've had a couple of those things and it the, it's not lost on me. I mean, I kid you not, like I would, I would be as a kid with my headphones on, like crying, listening to Liza Minnelli. Like right. I, I'm, I'm, I'm that gay, you know, right. <laughs> that's me. Like I'm that gay cliche. Um, yeah. And then there I am, you know, after college, you know, in a, alone in, in someone's living room, auditioning with her, like, and dancing with her, with, you know, one guy at the pianist and the director just watching us. And then I'm on tour with her. And then something like this, Les Mis, which changed my life as a kid. And I dreamed about being in it. Suddenly I'm in the final company of, of the Broadway production that I saw, you yeah, know, crazy. And then so five years, beautiful. five years later, I did the revival right. and then played Andros, right. which is crazy. Yeah, uh, crazy. When you were when you were touring with Liza Minnelli, um, did you ever get a chance to hang out with her? And did she ever share stories? I mean, we know so much about that family from biopics and books and and interviews. Did you ever kind of talk to her about it? Um, you know, I would never really bring up like specific things. I kind of always wanted to. When I got the job, I started reading some biographies mm-hmm. on her just so I like would know maybe what to avoid in yes. conversation yeah. or um, and I just kind of try to just treat her as just like a person I'm hanging out with. But it was very hard to control because, of course, I'm also a super fan. Yeah. Um, 
But then I would just say, like, oh, gosh, I wonder what like her life is like when we're not here. And I remember calling her on Mother's Day or something, and that was probably maybe I could have could have could have gone badly but i was just like hey i've been spending so much time with you lately i don't know it's mother's day i was thinking about you and i just wanted to say hey and she's like well what are you doing i was like well nothing uh, nothing now she's like want to go to the movies you know so, like, <laughs> so and at the time i was crashing with my parents on 68th and third and uh-huh. she lived and she lived on 69th and third her apartment so I was like, no. She's like, well, where are you? I was like, actually, I live around the corner. So I went over and we just like went to the movies. And then afterward, like we're hanging out and she's like looking at it, thinking about the, she's like, oh, my dad would have loved this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, you know, you know, mm-hmm. Vin, Vince, Vincent Minnelli, sure. you know. Um, and then afterwards, we're like in the car or something. She's like, we're going somewhere. And I don't know. She said something about like serendipity. I was like, oh, I don't even know what that is. She's like, what? She's like, driver, <laughs> Seven serendipities. And we just like instantly went to serendipities and like shared a Sunday and just like spent time together. And we did that a couple of times. It was really cool to just like, <clears throat> excuse me, just hang out with her. Like uh-huh. it was, to- and I still had to like pinch myself right. all the time. Um, yeah, it was, it was really special. I mean, the best times were just like going out after show with you know, the director and the two other guys who sang back up for her or like our, our sound checks or it's those like casual times of just hanging out and being silly. That was what's the most fun. She was really, really everything like I kind of dreamed she could have been. She was mm-hmm. and and more. It's yeah, so it was great. magical. So how do you um, how do you wake up? one morning when you know Tony nominations are happening and you're the boy that you're describing. Um, and do you put the television on? Do you have a sense because of the nominations that are happening that season that you're maybe gonna like, how do you handle that? Well, first of all, you started the question. You're like, how do you wake up? And I thought that was the whole question. I was like, I don't know. Lately, I'm not really sure. Exactly. Um, no, gosh. I'm talking to Tony nominated Max von Essen. So we've, we've moved to a very specific morning of waking up. Yeah. You know, it was, it was wild. Like, I, I'm not going to lie. Like at that point, I knew it was a real possibility. You know, mm-hmm. people have been saying it. There was a lot of momentum going into it. And it was the first time in my life I, I actually was really giving it thought you know i i I was old enough i'd done enough shows that like it just it it's not why i i stay in the business or what i was what i needed it's just that wow all of them oh whoa i'm in a show and we had we had also and i had be prior to that you know gotten the like the drama desk and the outer critic circle and so then i was like oh boy well if now if i don't get this you know the tony i'm actually going to be really bummed and i and i and i actually would have been at that point um but I just, but I was now at this point, I'm, I'm really stressed out and I know I wasn't gonna be able to sleep or anything, but I refused to set my alarm. I refused to watch it live. I was like, it's just too stressful, but, mm-hmm. but I couldn't sleep. I was in my bed. My phone was like on and I was like refreshing some things. My, my partner at the time was in the living room watching the, the thing live. And he said later he was actually nervous. Cause you know, it's, it's alphabetical order. And now it's like, they had already, announced four nominees or something. So he was kind of nervous, like, oh gosh, maybe it's just not going to happen. And then I heard him screaming from the living room, like screaming, screaming, screaming. And I just thought, I remember just sitting in my bed and I just like kind of whispered to myself, I was like, I got it. (laughs) I got it. And my agent, who's a really good friend of mine now, he's been my agent for like almost 20 years. He was the first person to call and we chatted and I cried and it was just, you know, it's, it's not why you do it. It's not why we're in this career. It's not something I ever thought of as a kid or even as a professional actor thinking like, this is what I have to do and what I have to get. Like, I'm really one of those people. Like, I just want to work. Like, I love being a New York working actor. I'm super proud of like, this is what I do. But when things like that come into your life, you ride it. 
You know what I mean? Enjoy every moment of it. And people gave me the advice, like, just pl- just try your best to be present in that season. Like, there are so many exciting events and things. Just try, try, try your best to to experience them and enjoying them, enjoy them. And I really did. The whole thing kind of went, like, very slowly, day by day. I mean, it flew by. But in my mind, right. I, can, I can kind of picture the events and picture the, the, the Broadway stars who were there that, like, people have idolized my whole life. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm now... I'm now with them at yeah. luncheons. I was like, yeah. and this could be the one and only time this happens. So enjoy every minute of it. And I did. And it was awesome. And even the night of when some people were like, oh my God, you know, I'm so sorry. It didn't work out. You didn't win. And I was like, are you kidding? It's like, <laughs> I was like, oh, I won. Yeah. Like I'm a winner. I was like, this was amazing. Yeah. Now cut. Now, knock on wood, I hope I have five Tony nominations of one course, day. Of and, course. you know, and, and maybe at that point, I'll be like, ah, oh, damn, you know, yeah. <laughs> I lost another one. Yeah. But, but at that point, ev- every moment was a dream that season. And how many years had it been, had it been since your Broadway, the first Broadway show you did until that nomination happened? Well, I did the, that Jesus Christ Superstar revival in 2000, and then I got the nomination in 2015. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, you know, it was about 20 years of working yeah. as an actor nearly and 15 years between, you know, since making my Broadway debut. Yeah. Yeah. Did you audition for An American in Paris? Oh, yes, I did. My gosh, I've fought for that role. Um, I wanted it so, so badly. And, it, and I just felt like it wasn't going my way because they kept, well, in the beginning, they kept asking how, you know, my dance, what my dance abilities were like and how, how, what kind of a tapper I was. And I was like, I've never even held a pair of tap shoes. Mm, like, that's the kind of tapper I, I am. Oh my God. Well, non, you mean non-existent? Yes. The non-tapper. <laughs> yeah. What's I the don't... opposite of being a tap dancer? <clears throat> that's me. That's yeah. me. That's me. A mime. Yeah. Now, are you lying in these auditions and going a little, or are you saying not one bit? Like, uh, like I who's ha- asking and how are you handling the answer? Christopher Wielden, the director choreographer, was asking, and I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't lie mm-hmm. about the tapping because I was just going to get myself in more trouble. Right. Um, so I was honest. I said, hey, listen, I'm, I move well. And when people are patient with me, I pick up things and I've had to do some things in shows that like look like dancing. Mm-hmm. So I was like, but I was like, but that's it. And then they had me at the at that dance call with some of the the best dancers in the world. Right. And I remember like going about to go to this dance call, and I told my agents, I said, I said, listen, you have to call them. Like I can't do this. And they called. They were like, you know, you can't make Max do this. Like it's not fair to put him in dance call. They're like, no, don't worry. There's gonna be people of, of all levels, and they know Max. They know he's not a dancer. They mm-hmm. just want to see what he can do. But sure enough. This dance call was brutal, so hard, and I was humiliated. So I had to just like keep cracking jokes, like you know, like I don't remember what I said, but I I had them laughing, and then finally, like we start like, and now it's like hours into it, I could I can, I'm like limping, I was in pain, and then we put on tap shoes, like oh gosh, it's gonna be a dis- <laughs> gonna be a disaster. Yeah, like, they, is it like when you're in a bowling alley? Are they handing you tap shoes? Like how no, I someone someone loaned me them and. We start this combination. I literally get make maybe eight counts in, and they're like, "Hey, Max, um, come here." And I walk over to the casting director and to the director, choreographer Christopher, and they were like, "Um, we we think we've put you through enough, so um, thank you so much." And I was like, "Oh my god!" I was like, "Bye, everybody!" So I'm like the only one. I just have to walk out of this room like fifty phenomenal male dancers, and just leave. And then like oh. a week, a week later, later, they call me for an appointment for my final callback for the role. And I was like, no, I was like, no, how is this happening? But I, I just, just did the walk of shame across 50 days. Seriously. Yeah. Oh, my God. But I guess, you know, I, and I mean, I mean it when I say that sometimes a role comes into your life that you just, it's you, you, mm. you feel it, it's meant to be. And I loved this role of Henri so, so much. I've been obsessed with Gershwin since I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. There's some of the first songs I started teaching myself on the piano. It just, I, I just felt like it, they, it would be a, 
the, it would be a loss if I didn't get get to do this. Like mm-hmm. you, and 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 I guess somehow you know we all know how it ends. So I got it. Yes. And and they just you know taught me a couple of the simplest steps, and everyone else just danced around me, you know, in, in top hat and tails and headdresses right. and feathers, right. and right. and it just it just somehow worked out. And it's my favorite role that I've done in my entire life. You know, just one of those things. It was just. And you got to sing gift. those songs. Oh yes. Wow. Wow. So Gershwin, the Gershwin brothers found you when Mm -hmm. you were little. um, And then you got to find them for everyone else who got to see you in that show. And how long were you in that show for? Um, well, it was, it's one of the only shows in my career that I've kind was, you know, kind of in mo- almost the whole process, mm-hmm. you know, from like reading to workshop to yeah. out, out of town to Broadway. So it was in my life for at least two and a half years. Wow. And be- between Paris and Broadway, I did it, basically performed it for nearly two years straight. Um, so it was really nice because I haven't had that opportunity, um, really my whole life. So I, I really enjoyed it. I don't know how yeah. much, how much longer I would want to be in a show playing the same role, but yeah. two years, <clears throat> excuse incredible. me, two years, incredible. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's just like, not only as a performer, but also just as a human to have yeah. a job like that to have a paycheck coming is like, it's rare in this business. So I, I, if, if I can do it, I'm happy to just sit in a show for a little bit. And are you someone who, I mean, 100 Broadway shows later, do you have specific rituals that you do no matter what show you're in, no matter what kind of part it is that are just Max von Essen isms? Hmm. Um, well, I mean, I've got to decorate my dressing room immediately. Whether okay. because like it doesn't and it doesn't matter what like the feeling is for the show, like if it's gonna open and close or run for five years, like you just you just go in there with confidence. You move you- in. You move in, you make it your home, because even if you're just there for tech and previews, it's a long time and you live there and I want to feel comfortable. And whether I do it like with a, with a, with a feeling from the show or I do like the feeling of like my own apartment. So it just feels like an extension. I'm walking into another room in my home. Either way, I do that right away. Um, Well, let me just ask about that. Do you find sort of the designer in you? Do you have an instinct that maybe I need to do it more um, in in a way that's connected to the character or mostly there's just an aesthetic that you're interested in on any given day and that's what you're doing? It's both. It's changed from role to role. For American in Paris, I wanted to feel like, um, like the drawing room of this wealthy French family um, in Paris and I, I like went full out and paintings mm-hmm. and a bar and, um, for other thing, for other things, I want it to be an extension of my home, but I always try to bring in some things that are, that are specific to the character, specific to the period. So that like, it can be, I'm even like an Anastasia. I just like, <clears throat> it was as if it was like another room in my apartment, but I remember just finding a, a map of Russia online that was like from 1880 or something like wow. that. And just, and just imagine, and I framed it and I just imagined like, it's the kind of thing my character's father could have given to him. Yes. And the moment you touch it, you're touching something from 1880. So you're Incredible. touching something that, that your character in 1910 could have had in his possession. So it just can be something even just simple like that. It's amazing. Like once you've done the work and, you know, as an, as an actress, like once you've put in the work and you've done the show many times, sometimes all it takes is one quick warm up or one, just one thing that you connect with that like mm-hmm. pull, pulls you into the world so that you walk onto the stage having, having, given it a moment to connect right. to this a world. So I like that. Yeah. A touchstone. So depends on each role, but sometimes I go full out and sometimes it's just, I, I want it to be like my life with just certain things from, you know, that the character is going to be, the character is going to be inspired by. Right. And are you someone who is okay um, once you're secure and, and the show is sort of up and running and, and in its groove, do you laugh on stage? <laughs> honestly rarely um uh i'm pretty i'm pretty good unless the show isn't like as as solid as you know something like an american in paris i'm there i just found the work to be i found the the piece to be so solid that at least certainly for for me is and what i had to do as a character so i just didn't have moments that were going to break me and if something funny happened then it's just sort of like becomes part of the 
part of that moment. Whereas right. I've been in some bad shows where <laughs> I'm not, not going to name any, except okay. I can I can name this one because who cares? It's been so okay. so long, and it was such a big flop, Dance of the Vampires. Yes, that things would happen, and I would lose my mind. And you know the great great actor, may he rest in peace, Rene Aubergenois. Mm-hmm. Um, we were I was like his sidekick, so we t- did tons of stuff together. And his jo- his nickname for me was The Rock. <laughs> Which which I was not ever. He was being ironic. So, yes, he was like, ah, yeah, come on, come on, rock. You know, here's the rock. I would lose lose it, and he, you know, we were all so lost, and he would sometimes just improv a line because because nothing was working. So every night, sometimes he would try something completely different, and I'd lose my mind. Or one time, I'm supposed to like hit this vampire like on the head, like bang him with like a hammer or something, some sort of mallet, and there was a sound effect like a boop, you know, like some sort of like cartoon like sound effect. And the I don't know why if the sound sound designer was just being being cruel that night or made an absolute mistake, but the sound effect was shattering glass. <laughs> like it it was completely wrong. There was like I don't know if he was just like over it, right, right, or he or he or made a terrible mistake. mistake, right. So like now I bang this vampire on the head with a mallet, and the sound effect is just glass shattering. And we just sort of like take a moment, look at each other. Like there's like dead silence on stage. I'm like, I just lose my mind. Like I just, I could not keep it together. I mean, and with saying that I'm still a professional, like this is not like there were 10 times a show. I just mean, when things went wrong, it was, it was actually very hard for me to keep it together. So my apologies to Actors Equity. I just, um, in general, I'm really good. I promise. Well, maybe we can find all the people who were there Uh. that night. And you six. can send them the <laughs> six people, um, three of them the ushers. If you uh, could write a beautifully handwritten note to them, uh, I think God. all will be well. You'll other than that, them. other than that, I swear to you, I'm actually, I'm actually very serious on stage. Okay, well, I, I felt mean, that about you. I had yeah. an instinct in watching your work that that you were not generally silly. Yeah, no, I'm a silly person, and I'm gonna have fun in rehearsal and backstage. But no, on stage is is very, it's sac- it really is sacred to me, and I I try to really enter that world mm. and stay there. Also, because I'm not a good enough actor to like bounce in and out. Like I've really gotta <laughs> you got to warm up. Yeah, you know what I mean. When you don't have any technique, you gotta like really just go out there and believe it. Well, uh, that's <laughs> a not true. B, I appreciate your ethic. Our mutual friend Christopher Henke told me a story last night that uh, one maybe it was Christmas or New Year's, but you and the divine Elizabeth Stanley were uh, going to spend a holiday with Christopher and mm-hmm. Jeffrey. And uh he you asked if he needed anything, and you were like, Oh, I make this great holiday beverage do you want to take it from there oh gosh yes what, we were like we were, literally, we were literally driving up just didn't know if he needed like some extra supplies or something yeah. and he don't you said, hate when you ask someone and they're like actually yes do you mind and it's like a hundred you're like oh i just uh, i want you so to say no we're we're fine <laughs> So there is yeah, no, but he's just, he was just like, you know, yeah, just just get grab a case of pink grapefruit. Mm-hmm. And we're like, and me and Elizabeth are like, huh, okay. And he's like, whole, whole, whole Foods has them. So we're like, oh, okay. And we're going all over, like, I got a case. Okay, so now so we're like, we, we have to like request it. We have to find someone to help us who's like, wow, a case who brings out this huge case of these beautiful, expensive, like perfect pink grapefruits. And we show up to his house with this huge box. And he's like, what's it? What's that, y'all? Um, <laughs> we're like, you know, like the case of pink grapefruits. He's like, no, like the pink grapefruit, you know, like seltzer I used to make cocktails. <laughs> we're like, how were we supposed to know that? He's like, well, that's what I always get. You know, I make that. I was like, no, we don't. So now we have a case of I believe these it's 1,000. 1,000. We had spent like now in this pandemic, what I what I would how much you know how much I would need that money that yeah. I spent on this pink grapefruit? Yeah. Um oh he we owes still you. laugh about it. Oh my gosh. And then I think Elizabeth was like opening and on the town or something, and he sent her for opening night a case of pink <laughs> <laughs> grapefruit. It is a gift that keeps on giving. Oh my god. I, but that, that. I, was, I love him. Uh, I love him too. Yeah, he's um, a good one. Yeah, 
I mean, also that was Christopher Henke did one of an episode on this show, and I need anyone who's listening to this one to go back and find his because the Max von Essen impression that he just did of Christopher <laughs> Henke is so spot on, oh. and I'm all there. I did was yeah, you just got to add y'all and like a little y'all, but there, there's. But yeah. Yeah, but it was good. Like I'm picturing you in his driveway opening the trunk with <laughs> 1,000. Huge box. Ah, too much. He also uh, prompted me, not that um, I need prompting because really your life is so fascinating and you've done so many things, but um, he did ask me in the word association game that we played earlier to say this name and that mm-hmm. you might – have something wonderful oh, to share no. about this gorgeous actress who we lost recently, an icon and a pioneer, Cicely Tyson. Did uh, you spend time with her? Yes. Yes. And this is when I first met her. It was years ago. And I, um, I, I uh, very quickly, I, I had these wonderful friends. In fact, he was a producer of Dance of Vampires. His name is mm. Bill Haber. And you're and still friends. I- Believe it or not, and it's, it's actually really fun. I became very good friends with his wife, who also went on to become a a, 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 a very very established producer. And I did a okay. few shows with her. But after Dance of Vampires, they sent me this invitation. Um, they were like, "We know it's been a tough year, so won't <laughs> won't you join us?" And they happened to have this had this beautiful chateau in the French countryside. And now here I am like, this is not a world that I have any connection to, right? I was yes. like, uh, in, okay. in your dressing uh, room, you have yeah, a fabric. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. A, a picture of a yes. chateau. Yes. Um, so, and for them, it was just it, for as successful as, as they, they have been. Um, it's, it's about sh- sharing, you know, friend, friends, you're on, you're invited the whole, the, a whole the month of August, you just get yourself here and then we just have fun. We'll take care of everything else. And oh the goodness. people that come in and out from, you know, it, well, whatever. It, it's it's really just a magical thing. It's the kind of thing I learned from them. I was like, gosh, if I ever have money, that's what I want to yeah. do. You know what? I want to yeah. share it with friends and do silly stuff. And I got there and there's several people that I just didn't know. And I was like, who is this beautiful older black woman? Like, she's just so, you know, regal, but also so chill. And, you know, you see Cicely Tyson when she's at an award show or something, and she puts on a little makeup and has a, one of her beautiful wigs on. And she mm-hmm. is like, she is ageless yes. and stunning. Like well, yeah. but, but, but here, just like, absolutely just like blended right in, very casual. And like, um, and then I'm hearing Cicely, Cicely is like, wait a second. Wait a minute. <laughs> this, this can't be. And so I run in and I like Google her. And so I was like, oh my God, it's Cicely Tyson. <laughs> So I'm like, yes. So I'm freaking out. I got to spend a week with her, and you, there's all kind of activities you do, and you go. What? I want to know when I oh have my God. chateau. What's the daily itinerary? We had well, first of all, there's like the meals were incredible. We play patank every night. We went mm-hmm. hot air ballooning. We had pottery class, flower flower arranging right. class. We one night we would like we cooked mussels out on the on the out on the terrace, like. And she and I, I have this great picture of the two of us together, just like opening up muscles. I'm helping mm-hmm. her, her opening up her muscles. And she called me Matt all week, M-A-T-T. And I couldn't <laughs> care less. I was like, you can call me anything you want, Miss yes. Cicely Tyson. Wow. And, I, and it's just like, you know, it, it's it's like this life. I just don't know how I got so lucky to have these experiences and to look back and to this this incredible woman who was like, change the face of you know of the industry for mm-hmm. for for all women let alone yeah. black women yeah. and and just to, to be able to have to spend time with her and spend time with my friends who open up their home and had so people beautiful. in and every every night we would um since i play piano we we after we had dinner and had a few drinks so we'd go into a room where there's a piano and we would just open up music books and sing all night and it was just so, so divine yeah so fun they really taught me how to like Live, live your life. You know what I mean? Carol Haber, who I became very, very close with for years after that, she passed away a few years ago from ALS and mm-hmm. I miss her every day, but I'm telling you, she was like, she became like my, my, like my auntie Mame in a way. Mm-hmm. And she just taught me like, you know, live. Wow. Live. Wow. Wow. Yeah. All right, sweet friend, before I let you go, is there a little known fact about you that you can share? Ah, um, well, yeah, sure. I mean, this isn't something that comes up often or at all, but I, 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 a lot of times I think about 
you know, because you're talking before, like, I didn't know if I was going to go into this career. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I went to college, I majored in economics, thinking mm-hmm. I was going to like a work in a bank or, or, you know, down on Wall Street. And I, like, I just, when I think back, like, that could have been my life, which is fine. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's something I was really going to do. I just didn't know if I had the courage. And then right before graduation, graduating from college, I asked my parents, I said, do you think I could do this? Can I give this a shot? Um, what do you think? Like, they're like, go for it. Mm-hmm. And so here I am. Yeah. Thank and goodness then you bought backstage it. and the next thing you know, you're dancing with mm-hmm. Liza Minnelli. Yeah. I mean, I told myself, I was like, listen, give it two years, two mm-hmm. years, just audition for two years, see what happens. You'll know in that time if there's a, re- what the response is, is there potential? And the response was pretty good right away. I started working right away. So I'm glad did I you- did it. Did you, so you weren't a theater major or were you like a theater major and an economics minor? Like, how did you do it? I wasn't a theater major. I was an economics major. Okay. I also doubled in vocal performance. So I did a lot of singing, but okay. all all the theater I had to do on my own and with student groups. And I started my own theater company. It was almost like I was like creating my own, um, my own major, you know, cause mm. I was like, cause I loved it so much. Right. I just wanted to keep doing it. And, uh, I just realized like, if this isn't a part of my life, I don't know how I'm going to be able to live, live my life. You know what I mean? So I just finally said, screw it. I got to go for it. And you did. And you did. And here you are. Max von Essen. Also, I said it earlier in, uh, when I, when I read his bio, but by his music, it's so beautiful. You'll get to have him in your ear pods or AirPods or whatever the kids are the Walker man. Um, uh, he, he's on so many incredible cast recordings and anytime there's a chance to hear him sing or, or see him perform, I urge you take it, do it and sign up for it. Um, Max Von Essen, thank you for being on the podcast today. Oh my gosh. My pleasure. Seriously. Thank you so much. You are a total joy and you have made my day probably my week. So I really appreciate it. Well, I'm calling you tomorrow to read you a a longer (laughs) bio, but until tomorrow, thank you, Max. Oh, and one more thing. If you enjoyed today's episode, would you mind going over to the Apple Podcast show page and rate and review the show? Thank you. Talent coordinator for this episode is John Zaytune. The episode was edited by Nicholas Klar. We recorded in New York City. And the Little Known Facts theme song was written and recorded by Georgia Famusa with backups by Caleb Famusa.